full cast and crew is part of the Chuckler Podcast Network. Other Chuckler podcasts include The Needle, a podcast bringing Hollywood body perfection to the regular working person. This week, friend of the pod Mark Wahlberg talks about his private chef, going to bed at 4 p.m., nannies who do stuff with the kids since he's asleep at 4, and tells how the average person should work out three times a day for two hours at a time, never even see white flour or sugar, and subsist on a daily intake of 7 calories. The Needle, doing it for the gram since 2016. Now we're recording. I have to get a bottle of water. Ironically, Chris, it's. I'd like wow. to welcome our new sponsor of the Full Cast and Crew podcast, Fiji Natural Artesian Water, uh, saw a tweet of ours and sent us a couple of cases of water uh, for use on the podcast. No kidding. And it's such a beautiful shade of blue. Isn't it a nice that one? Cap. Isn't that nice? It's so great, you know, it's so great when a a big corporation is able to... Oh, that's good water. (laughs) Mm. And also... The creation of of these humanistic... I'd like to welcome the Fiji Water Girls standing silently behind you. Hello? Where? 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 Okay, Chris, hit us with the uh, intro. What defines humanity, if not the attempt, through sheer force of intellect, to craft a narrative which imposes order on the roiling maelstrom of chaos in which we endeavor from cradle to grave? There is no more potent manifestation of this most human of impulses than Full Cast and Crew, a podcast where Jason and Chris examine, through the lens of the Full Cast and Crew section of a film's IMDb page, a film, and try to understand why it and we exist. Okay. <laughs> As always, Chris, I'm going to be honest when I'm whelmed and when I'm underwhelmed. Absolutely. I'm, you know? I'm going to be swinging for the fences every time, trying something different. They're not always going to be winners. Um, I'm trying to get some clarification on a question that was posed to the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, so fill some time. You got it. Uh, well, actually, this might be the perfect time for me to talk about a subject very close to my Wait heart. Wait a minute. Hold on. Before you do that, I got in trouble by one of our listeners by letting you, well, no. <laughs> you were talking about a subject close to your heart. I was trying to, I guess, thwart your conversation. <laughs> Perhaps this is a good time to segue into the viewer mail and discuss how I was taken to the woodshed uh, by a listener. Uh, All right. Yeah. The subject close to my heart can wait. Uh, The first is friend of the pod, Daryl Taylor, emailed the podcast, which you can also do. Anyone listening? Full cast and crew pod pod at gmail.com. I had to remind myself what it was. <laughs> anyway, Daryl has been a loyal fan of the show since the first episode. Yes. And um, frequently has chimed in with reviews on iTunes, which is much appreciated, and recommended the show on Facebook. Um, so, Daryl, shout out. Appreciate all the attention and listening. And I will take this criticism I'm about to read of myself to heart. Daryl writes, Dear Jason and Chris, I am a loyal listener from the first episode, and I enjoy the film discussions and the chemistry between the two of you. Very nice. I really enjoy the addition of Rants and Raves, but I must say, Jason, you were kind of being a bully with not really allowing Chris to rave about comics like he seemed to want to (laughs) in the recent Roma episode. Chris was supportive in your rant about a Zales commercial, and I would like to hear Chris rave about what he is into. Overall, I enjoy the show, and I have some of my friends listening as well. Well, thank you very much, Daryl. Now, I'm not going to... I hear you, Daryl. I am open. 
I take constructive criticism very well. <laughs> that space was for the laughter of all who know me. Don't worry, I'll edit it you in. You can edit that in. <laughs> However, I think that the podcast is a general interest podcast for generally interested people. I do not think it is a fanboy podcast for comic book nerds, although some of them may enjoy yeah. and listen. My only criticism of the thing you were going into was that it was very, very... I'm trying Insider to remember which was, was, stuff. Which was it was Roma. a it was a run of some title that was going to be done by these artists, and you were very excited oh, because Defenders: The <laughs> Last Defense, the, or the best defense rather. And here we go again. <laughs> All I was my <laughs> only, was my chair. My only point was it was just a, and and you know what, Daryl's right. It, it shouldn't be for me to police your raves. Let me just say that. That is very, very kind of you to say and for Daryl to say. And however, oh, <laughs> there, there's things you got to avoid. You can't be too much this, too much that. You know, you don't want There's plenty of podcasts that speak to guys that have a lot of comic books. Right. Anyway, Daryl, I hear you. I will not step on Chris's raves in the future. I thought Daryl threw a little shade in my direction when he said Chris was supportive in your rant about a Zales commercial. That felt a little that felt a little like a zing. I felt a little bit like he was trying to cut me down a little bit. But, you know, maybe not. Maybe he was just maybe he was just reciting the facts. Yeah, calling him like he sees him. <laughs> well, one thing that I will say as far as not only do you police, I also do a certain amount of policing, which because I do it so seamlessly. Yeah. You mean uh, when you edit me out? I, well, not just you. I also, you know, I'm not always as articulate. Like there are a lot of ums, sort of sure. and likes that <laughs> I'm get taking out, and 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 and, and just repetition. Of Chris, the same you're words. so well spoken on the podcast. Exactly. Okay, here's another one. This one is from the Facebook page. Uh, RF Brown posts on the Facebook page. I really enjoyed the bonus Golden Globes episode, although it seemed glossed over that one of the hosts only watched the first hour. Where's the outrage? Where's the earnestness? I think that's directed at you. Uh, since I was the one who only watched an hour of it, uh, there's no outrage going to be coming from me. And I stopped watching it because I earnestly was bored. I earnestly <laughs> did not enjoy it. Well, Chris, but I, this raises a good point. I mean, I was fucking bored, but I watched the whole goddamn thing. Just like I watched all of Bird Box last night. I don't stop <laughs> down when I'm bored because well, my job is to review the material and be prepared to discuss it for the podcast. Well, so really, you're saying always. you're saying that if four minutes into Bird Box, I could have ascertained that it wasn't going anywhere I was interested in, that I should just have stopped watching and then being sitting here today purporting to discuss the movie without having watched it. That well, seems I mean, unfair to the listeners. Well, that's a, perhaps. But what I would say is that there have been times you that, you know, we haven't well, uh, that's made true. it to the end of well, it. And uh, in the case of the Golden Globes specifically, uh, I figured I would be able to catch up with the coverage as far as the actual awards. Well, now you're doing that. I, mean, I didn't mean to gloss over it, as he put it. I tried to be very transparent. You with should the have lied more, is what I think Rick is saying. <laughs> Had you not told the listeners that you didn't really watch the whole show, yeah. he would not have been able to criticize you for for basically not doing yeah, your job. So it's not that I glossed over it. It's that I mentioned it it's at It's that all. you mentioned it at all. No. Now, um, Chris, one other thing I want to get to before we get to our scintillating discussion about Bird Box, you suffered an injury the other day that I would like to hear about, and I think the listeners are going to be fascinated by. You were a little late to the office yesterday, yes. and I asked someone, where's Chris? And they said, oh, He's coming in, but he was injured. I said, oh, my God, is he okay? Oh, yeah, he's fine. He's just going to be a little late. So then you showed up yesterday for the taping of our Golden Globes recap, 
and your hand was bandaged, which I don't think you're wearing now, we're but I can see now. that the hand is red and, and scabrous. Can you describe exactly what happened? Well, uh, yes, this, I was going to, to mention this in reference to uh, FPIs. Which, What's uh, FPIs? FPIs, I don't know if you know that every year, and certainly in 2019 already, there has been one FPI suffered uh, in New York City alone. Uh, these are French press injuries. Uh, <laughs> These are when people uh, make their own coffee by a French press. Are you actually telling myself and the listeners that you injured yourself making French press coffee? Yes. And uh, <laughs> I can't, I'm not sure which was worse, the second degree uh, burns that I suffered or the fact that I wasted some very good coffee. You're making French press coffee, which I think is the glass beaker and you put the grounds in. It has the little spring on it. You used to get them at Conrad's. It has the stopper. You press it down. Yes. Uh, mine isn't glass. It's metal. Uh I don't a know metal. if it's better or worse. Yeah. Coffee in a metal French press? Is mm -hmm. that a thing now the millennials are doing? I, I don't know if that if it's better or worse, but the one I think that that's I have called hobo be, coffee. That's oh, like yeah, okay. cooking so on a <laughs> oh, so you're familiar Are you with cooking it. on a campfire at home? Uh yeah, but that's only because the gas hasn't been. Is everything off. okay? You, you know, were not making coffee on a campfire in Manhattan somewhere. Trust in, me, that would have been much safer than what I was doing. I'm not gonna go into how exciting my life is in general. All of which just sort of leads up to the fact that come eight o'clock Monday morning after uh, the weekend, I was like, I gotta make myself some coffee as well as doing all sorts of other things, knowing that I'm gonna be recording a Golden Globes episode. So as I'm sort of doing things, getting ready to but go- But not including watching the Golden Globes. You had a lot of I mean, things. To, you had a lot of things to do, but watching the show you were going to talk about wasn't one of them. Okay, you have I don't want to get in the. You I don't want to triage and prioritize. Like Daryl says, I don't want to get in the way of That's your narrative here. <laughs> so, uh, I was making, you know, and I, yes, I do. Uh, I make coffee with a French press. I ground okay. beans and put them in, and I also like um, boil water. Well, yeah, but specifically, like I like my coffee super hot. Okay. Well, how, how much hotter than boiling can you make water? I mean, not too much, but but boiling <laughs> is pretty freaking hot. Like some people will let it sit for a while and- Oh, you know, I not, see. Okay. But I definitely go straight from boil into thing. Okay. And as I was getting ready, you know, I was just uh, kidding aside. I was just careless. You know, I was putting the plunger in and sometimes if you put it in, I don't know if rightly or wrongly, it can be hard to push it down because I don't know if it's an air pocket or something gets, whatever it was. And I was pushing down too hard and sort of not being um, diligent, careful. And then the thing flipped out from under me and- uh, uh, Spilled all over your chest and hand. Now, apparently, all, were yeah. you, apparently you were shirtless while making coffee. It was, it was the this morning. This is a little weird. This is, story takes a creepy turn. I was just you know, preparing it before I jumped into the shower. Oh, didn't uh, we discuss this in the past that you're like a drink coffee in the shower guy? Uh, no. Uh, okay. <laughs> no. What other podcast? So you scalded your nipple. I scalded my nipple, my side, and my hand pretty and, bad. And, and then, then so I went to an urgent care uh, because I was like, like. Did you tell them what happened? Yeah. I mean, I went into a little bit less detail. Did you hear this when you said that you hurt yourself making French press coffee? Did you then hear this sound? <laughs> Coming out of the nurse's station or the doctor's area or anything? Actually, they were like, oh my gosh, you must be like royalty. You're not just drinking coffee from the deli. You're making your sure. own ooh la la French press coffee. The reaction that I did get when they saw the injury was like. Uh, really? So, yeah. It was, well, it doesn't look that bad now. I mean, well, sure. On, on the hand, it wasn't as bad as, as over, man. I, like I said, it was their reaction, not mine. I was wanting. I wasn't even to go. But then I was like, I suppose it might scar or something. Wow, and maybe, that's very diligent of you. 
Yeah. And now, if only I was diligent when making the coffee. You're appreciative of the fact. I'm appreciative of the fact that it's not like, let's say, a skydiving injury or like saving nuns injury. Yes, it is a French press coffee injury, of which this is probably the only, this is one of two possible. Was that a Salvador reference? I guess they didn't save them. Sorry. Didn't mean to bring the podcast down. Spoiler for 1987 Salvador. The nuns didn't make it. Wow, Chris. Uh, Well, geez, I hope you're okay. I mean, listen, podcasting with an injury, it's tough. Are you bandaged? Is your nipple bandaged? Yes, it is. It is, though, I will say, I got prescription for sort of a- uh, What, an ointment? An unguent? Yeah. Something to help help heal it. And they uh, weren't able to fill it last night. First of all, I don't- I mean, I'm scalded flesh. Okay, it's hot coffee. I mean, what are you, the McDonald's lawsuit lady? I mean, how hot can the water be? I mean, a hundred and- hundred and change, I guess. <laughs> whatever boiling temperature like, is. Whatever boiling and then a little bit more. <laughs> you just, I was, you know. It's just. Yeah, well, of, look, I did make a point of wearing a bulky sweater <laughs> to try to, because uh, there were a lot of bandages. When she was putting uh, it on, I did feel like this does look way cooler than it is. Because it's like, yeah. you read a comic when Batman gets his ribs broken, uh, they tape them up. And that's how I was taped up. Yeah. So I was fantasizing to myself that I was that you were Batman. more yeah. more sure Batman is tougher than to go to the urgent care for spilling a little coffee on his, yeah, on his pinky. Because he's got his own friggin' butler who would be like, oh, look, Bester Bruce, yes, uh, you know, that's scalded. Put some of this unguent on it. Okay. Which you don't need a prescription for well, because you're I, rich. I hope you're feeling better and I appreciate the, uh, the ability that you have to come in and record <laughs> podcasts at less than 100%. <laughs> Speaking of less than 100%, uh, we're here today to discuss Bird Box, the 2018 Netflix release directed by Suzanne Beer, written by Eric Heisserer and Josh Mallerman, who wrote the novel that it is based upon. It stars Sandra Bullock, Trevante Rhodes, John Malkovich, Sarah Paulson, Jackie Weaver again, Rose Salazar, Lil Ray, Tom Hollander again, Mm -hmm. Machine Gun Kelly, B.D. Wong, Pruitt Taylor Vince, who I love, we'll talk about him later. And for me, Chris, I'm way more interested in the phenomena that Bird Box has become and how and why that occurred than I am in any in-depth discussion of this movie. We were just driving. Oh my God. And then she saw something. What is wrong with you? Say no virus or a chemical attack. It is real evil. If you see it, it takes on the form of your worst fears. Every contact we have had with the outside has brought us death. No one's coming for us. We are going on the trip. Never take off your blindfolds. We'll make it. You take this and you go. I'm Please don't take my children. Open your, Open eyes. your eyes. No, 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 no. Open your eyes. Please don't take my children. Do you hear that? Because as a movie, I mean, my God, it's pretty terrible. But it's a thing and it's kind of fascinating how it became a thing. I agree with you 100, well, 98%. <laughs> because I don't think it was terrible. I thought it was it was diverting. You know, I've seen worse. And as far as sort of like an El Cheapo suspense horror thing that you can have sort of in the background. Which know, is probably why it was successful. 
I mean, it does. It looks like they shot this in a week. I will say that all of those details around it are, I def, definitely think, are much more interesting. Though I will say there are elements of the movie that I did think worked, even though such it got, as before we get into, can I ask a couple questions yes. about your context? One, did you see A Quiet Place? Yes, loved it. You saw Gravity. I'm yes, sure. loved it. Because I thought of both of those when watching this. I think the Quiet Place similarity is is pretty obvious. Well, when I saw the trailer for this a couple of months ago, I was irritated because I just thought, are we really already in the blatant ripoff yeah. of the vastly more interesting and nuanced, well-acted, well-written, well-directed oh, A Quiet Place? I, I would flip all of that around. Uh, or almost all of it. You didn't like A Quiet Place. I thought A Quiet Place was nice, but I actually was sort of, I heard John Krasinski talking about it and he was talking about themes and ideas and characters. I was like, I didn't really see much Well, of I that. just thought as a diverting horror movie, it was very well executed. Yeah. And I thought he and Emily Blunt were fantastic together. I thought the kids were great. Mm-hmm. The characterizations had depth and dimensionality. Uh, the peril felt real. The creature, such as it was, um, had... Again, dimensionality and import, and I kind of understood what it was and why it was doing what it was doing and mm-hmm. what had happened to the universe that we were in. All the things that, I guess, in the approaching a bird box were sort of deemed like, we don't really have time to get into that stuff. And I don't need a lot. I just need enough to be in a, in a universe where I'm like, okay, these are the hows and the whys of how the thing yeah. wrecks havoc across the globe. That's my biggest, uh, biggest problem with the movie. But was. I really liked A Quiet Place. But I guess the people that made this film were correct that it wouldn't matter much <laughs> if if people had more appetite for something like A Quiet Place. It's kind of like, hey, now we're going to do it with, you can't yeah, here's see the anything. Yeah. And I look forward to all the other senses being <laughs> given the same treatment. Yeah, what's next? But the thing that I, the thing that I liked them. about this the most, actually, I actually liked, even though the rules were not always adhered to and were not always clear, I liked the idea of how it did affect people. Like the first time you see Sarah Paulson make that change, I was sort of yes. surprised. And she says, like, I see it. And yes. in Sandra Books, I liked the manifestation of, and partially I will say I'm a little bit biased because I wrote a story for a fiction podcast which did a similar thing but with sound. But the fact that the people, besides killing themselves, they were oftentimes were almost like a evangelical and wanting other people to experience it. And that threat becomes from that. That's like a glancing thing that could have been more interesting to explore, mm-hmm. but it's just this movie doesn't have time for that. I thought it was kind of interesting that there's almost no gore. It's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like a horror movie for people who don't really want to watch horror movies. Yeah. And that's probably why it had the success that it had. And we can talk more later after we go through the other things about the movie about how it became a thing. There's some interesting... There's some interesting theories about how and why this became a phenomenon, became popular, such as it is. But yeah, speaking of the movie, I mean, I love Sarah Paulson. And when it opened up and I saw the two of them, I thought, oh, cool. Like, this is interesting. It's like an interesting same-sex couple that's Mm -hmm. about to have a child. And for some reason, once it was like, oh, they're sisters, it just like some air went out of a balloon. The The whole experience of the movie for me was like, the balloon would get a little air in it, and I'd go, okay, and then the air would get let out of the balloon. Yeah. And, and then basically the air was let out of the balloon when all the interesting actors were killed off. Who am I left with? Sandra Bullock. She and her boyfriend have zero chemistry together. Yeah. He was so good in <laughs> I love Moonlight. Him. I love him. He's a great actor. Yeah. I love that guy. Uh, Trevante. Trevante Rhodes. I was glad to see him, and I thought he was really interesting in the early scenes 
as a counter to kind of her closed offedness yeah. and his attempts to kind of like engage her were great. But like, why was she so closed off, Chris? Were we ever exp- was that ever explained what the hell her fucking problem I is? I think it, she had gotten out of a relationship with yeah. whoever, I guess, is the father of her child. I guess that's sort of okay. it. And also, and uh, she's I rendered that with her, shut down. With her parents. She's her rendered unable before. to love her own child as a result of her bad breakup. The bad breakup, but also her family life before that her dad and mom. I actually thought the idea of her closed off and and wanting to protect her kids by blinding them, keeping them constrained, almost smothering them and destroying their life through this. <laughs> like, I, I thought that was a, uh, I well, liked that theme and I actually thought she sold the final. So in the end, there's a point where the, somebody's telling people to take off their blindfold. Yes. I couldn't tell if that was the monster or if that was just their own inner You mean when fear. they were on the boat? After, when they're off the boat and they're sort of just getting close oh, to well, the Oh, there's well, the, there's the part where she's in the woods and she's hearing voices. Yeah. She did a good job with the actual acting of that scene taken out of context. Yeah, it was frustrating because with a movie like this, a genre thing, that metaphor is so much more potent when you understand the why. And, um, and yeah, they really did a real not great job with explaining those rules. Look. I loved the rollicking roller coaster of monkey shines, as we've discussed. <laughs> I don't need a movie to be quote unquote good in any specific way to enjoy it. This is probably the kind of movie that ironically would be fun to watch in a crowded movie theater yeah. where people are yelling at the screen and everyone's just kind of like not being quiet. That might have been a fun way to experience a movie. So it's kind of ironic that it comes out on Netflix. Um, th- this, this is my um, impersonation of John Malkovich's agent. <clears throat> Hello? Yeah, he'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that's an outgoing Mal- voicemail message. Whatever you down, ask about John Malkovich, yes. Does he turn down anything? I don't know. I mean, my God, this guy makes Michael Caine look selective. Even Malkovich, it's like, it, 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 the characterization is so, it, it looks like they got the cast together in like a warehouse and they were like, look, here's a script. It doesn't really contain any character development. You guys got about 20 minutes. Have some lunch. Um, figure out what the hell you want to do, who you want your character to be, and let's just all reassemble, and we'll start right away with scene one. Yeah. I mean, everyone just kind of made up their own shit. Which, like I said, you know, was enough for me to be engaged when I was engaged, and then there would be longer stretches. Most of the, I will say that the um, going down the river, like, I don't think they kind of needed all of it. No, what was the, the river thing? It was so stupid. And one of the funniest things on, on the internet is... One woman was like, I'm sorry, I'm a dedicated whitewater rafter. <laughs> there is no way that this woman and two children would have made it down a river without the benefit of sight. I want to mention this because this is one of the funniest fucking things that I read about this movie. I think you remember a couple of weeks ago we were doing, um, I can't remember which one it was, and somebody wrote the most brilliant summation of the bad movie that we were talking about. Oh, I it was think, on, was it the the favorite? Yes, it wasn't a bad movie, but it was a brilliant summation of like, this movie took a shit on this movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is a version of this that I, when I read this, I thought that is brilliant. It was on a Reddit thread uh-huh. about Bird Box and it was posted by you slash broke three. My biggest issue with Bird Box, that's what it's called. This person wrote, I read through the official discussion post and didn't see any mention of my biggest gripe with Bird Box. Why would anyone ever build a school for the blind in a remote forest six miles down the river nearby some large rapids? I mean, come on. That is the last place anybody should be building a school, let alone a school for the blind. Honestly, it was an okay movie, but I cannot get over this one issue. I was about to fall asleep tonight, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. <laughs> and I had to vent in a post on r slash movies. I cannot be the only person who questioned the location of the school. So then a couple of people wrote on and said, oh, no. It wasn't a school for the blind. They just turned it into one. 
uh, after the apocalypse. And then someone was like, no, no, no. I'm reading the original novel. And in the novel, it's a school for the blind down a river, six miles in a forest. That's the sort of hilarious lack, both like very specific detail and complete lack of detail that is all over the place in the movie. Either that or it was a very forward thinking school uh, architect was like, you know what? Who knows what might happen 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 in the future? Full Cast and Crew is brought to you by Out of Jack's Mind, a new comedy short video series from Jack Plotnick, co-writer and director of the Sony Pictures feature film Space Station 76 and current recurring guest on Grace and Frankie and Z Nation. Out of Jack's Mind, like and follow at Chuckler Comedy on Facebook or Chuckler.com. Chuckler, original comedy delivered daily. Uh, what's with the birds? So, so well, birds and animals can see the thing and be okay. I guess, yeah. Only humans can see. They have no capacity for moral or rational thought. The concept that like only humans are driven mad or driven into a suicidal rage by glimpsing the creatures that we're never allowed to glimpse. Right. And by the way, the reason we're never allowed to glimpse them, they tried and failed. Well, I, was to, say, I know there's a deleted scene where yeah. I think the director, or maybe it was in an interview where she said, it just looked like kind of like a snake long baby. snake baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going back to the river and towards the river scene, which is like, okay, guys. And first of all, you know, again, I, I do think Sandra Bullock, like starting with her sort of like lecturing in them at the mm-hmm. beginning, that, yes. start, like, was that was an, an was arresting good. start. And I thought she sold all of that really well. When she's like, I will hurt you. Yeah. I was like, I, whoa, I'm in. Exactly, yeah. And then uh, if you don't watch every second of this movie, I will, I will hurt you. But uh, then they're going down the river. She's like, okay, listen, guys, we're getting to the rapids. And, and then she, they set up this, this Sophie's choice of yes. one of you will have to look, which I was like, wow, now this is getting interesting. Like, well, I wasn't because I was like, of course, you're not going to sacrifice the young girl well, to look. I, so that, that was I'm played, always hopeful. That well, was played as if that was a real possibility. Well, yeah, I mean, give me a some, fucking break. I'm hopeful. You know, like I said, I thought that was going to be the Sophie's choice. And then she Mom says, of know, the year. First of all, she doesn't, she goes like. Thanks, Mallory. I mean, I would look, but <laughs> she's like, well, no, wait a minute. If somebody's got to look, like, you might as well do it. You're steering anyway. It's such a. But then the very fact that, like you said, she's like, all right, one of us has got to look. And the kid's like, I'll do it. She's like. Eh, you know what? We'll be fine. <laughs> Eric is led into the balloon with the Sophie's choice, and then let's just let's just move on. And again, I don't <laughs> mind the fact that she decided to move on, but like the uh. connection between just the kid offering to sacrifice herself, like that to me does not seem like enough. That seems instead like eh, I changed my mind, which just <laughs> undercuts the stakes of the whole thing to begin with. Which of course then gets played out by the fact that they simply sort of just drift they down. Just, they and just drift down fine. to find it. Which, by the way, you're not going to be able to find it unless you look. Again, that's a great detail in an other, and even in a hackneyed sense of that radio message that Pruitt Taylor Vince's character is is broadcasting. He's like, you're going to come to a spot in the river. You're going to have to look. You know, it's like, okay, like, yes, the Sophie's Choice has been set yeah. up. Yeah. There's three of us. Who's going to look? Is she going to look and sacrifice her frankly fairly miserable fucking life and yeah. lack of mothering skills so that these two children might have a chance to escape her smothering and negativity yeah. and hatefulness um, and do better for themselves by falling into the, the, the clutches of the kindly blind people in the forest. Or, ah, let's just keep going. She made it. <laughs> um, there's two, two great dialogue things. One of the things that's weird in doing the podcast, on all the Netflix movies, they don't do traditional EPKs, so we don't have mm-hmm. the ability to play the clips in the same way that we can. I mean, you can play the whole movie, so I guess you'll be able to cut in 
you're going to have to go if back and watch me. the whole movie again. <laughs> With um, a blindfold. But there was a couple funny lines that, to me, always smack of a writer who's basically like looking at Wikipedia at the same time as the writing dialogue. One of them was a Malkovich line where they're in the house and he says something like, this has the classic biowarfare signature. You're in the academy. It doesn't make you a cop. Whatever it is, I'm sure they'll send someone soon. No, the only thing that will happen soon is we're all going to die soon. This has a classic biowarfare signature, North Korea or Iran. Which is just such a, something that no one would actually say <laughs> in real life. And he's not presented to us as like a military warfare well, expert was, of any kind. Say, it's like, I heard that line. I was like, <laughs> like okay, so he's going to be like yeah. uh, either a military guy yeah. or just some nope. crazy paranoid. No, he's nope. just, what was it? A tax attorney or no, a bankruptcy lawyer. He was a bankruptcy lawyer. Who just lawyer. happens to dabble in biowarfare. <laughs> And how about Lil Ray, who I love? Uh, he made me wish he made me wish that I was watching Get Out again instead of this mm-hmm. movie. Please get out of this movie, Lil Ray. Run, save yourself. Um, he has a line that's also from Wikipedia where he references like or other creatures such as lobsters or spiders. <laughs> that the surrogate from ancient Christian occult beliefs that made pregnant women encounter their unborn children as other creatures such as lobsters or spiders. That's literally the line reading. <laughs> other creatures such as lobsters or spiders. No one has spoken like that in the history of man. That is what we uh, now refer to as the Wikipedia locution. It is. Wikilocution. Wikilocution. Other creatures, such as lobsters or spiders. (laughs) You have to play that. It's fantastic. (laughs) A Sharknado is more interesting because it's going for over-the-topness. Yeah. This was going for sort of portent that never really really got off the ground. Can I ask, where were they? Because I thought at first that they were in Alaska. And then they kept talking about, uh, yeah, California. They're in California. Everyone apparently goes to the house now and takes like oh I did see selfies it, yeah. with blindfolds um, <laughs> and it doesn't have any I, kills, I, Chris. I mean, it's, well, it's a pity. Like that's that. It's too bad. That would have been peak twenty eighteen. Taking a selfie with a blindfold. You probably it takes ten times to do it yeah. before you actually get it. Get yourself. Well, we'll frame. get to the fake bird box challenge thing later. Um, it doesn't even have any kills. There's no kills. There's no gore. There's no. Yeah, there's you no, see blood. There's none. Oh, yeah. yeah well, no. she she hacks the guy to death with a machete. That was also pretty. We don't even get to see that. That was a little lame too. Yeah, well, of course, but like, it's like I've known some artists, and they're not like <laughs> machete killers. Tra- they're not like trained. <laughs> you know, this is like Jedi stuff. Like with the blindfold, with the blindfold too. And I thought she dropped her Go gun in the, the water, but then she had she? Yeah. swing machete. Where is she? <laughs> That's a pretty good Yoda. That is, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I guess like part of the success, like we said before, it, it must be a horror movie for people that don't like gore and horror. And maybe mm-hmm. that's the kind of reason. Um, I did laugh at the uh, scene where they were driving to the supermarket. Cause again, apparently the aliens can't go into supermarkets or other enclosed spaces. Right. Uh, someone speculated on the internet that they, they just can't use doorknobs. That's the only reason. Um, but when they're going to the store, it's kind of a funny scene where they're driving and they can only use the GPS, and then they smash into something at the store, and the GPS says, you have arrived. That, are, yeah. I, I laughed. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, why can't the aliens go inside, Chris? I don't know. And again, I'm not even certain that they're aliens. They could be uh, well, beings kind of from alien. within the Earth, or ghosts. They, they or... fly overhead. The leaves go up in the air. Oh, is that? Fl- I thought that was like- Can you see the reverse leaves? I did see that, but I thought that was just like, because they're around, they're like mystical and- I don't know, whatever the hell they were. I, I did think that some of the shots of sort of not showing them were effective of them running through the woods and just seeing the 
the trees shaking. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, but yeah, the, all of that, like I said, is because my experience of it, I did find when I would get bored, I would unapologetically start reading. And then when something would catch my eye, I'd go up and I'd enjoy. I'd enjoy John Malkovich saying whatever the hell he <laughs> said because he's John Malkovich. And I like, and I thought BD, like you said, everybody I thought did a wonderful job with what they were given. They just weren't given very much. And then there was a lot of, a lot of padding. And it's sort of surprising about, because people talk about this as a Susie Beer or Su- is it Susie? Susie Beer. Are you on a first name basis with Susie Beer? Well, th- that's how people <laughs> refer to this. And I'm like, I was embarrassed. I was like, should I know who She's she Danish. is? She's Danish. Yes. Uh, Does that give her some sort of filmic credibility? I don't know, but she's had, you know, she's had some success with her films in the past. You know, you know she directed either. The Night Manager, which I'm, a, which I'm a fan of. That was the one thing that I was going to, though I remember you saying that even that. Out of respect for my you, wife, I will not use this as an opportunity to discuss Elizabeth Debicki. So I'm taking some grief for that. Oh, <laughs> oh. so that's a reader, uh, reader comment we had. Reader comment I haven't gotten to. But oh, I was gonna so say, you're all about Elizabeth Debicki, <laughs> are you? I remember you saying <laughs> that as much as you liked The Night Manager, that parts of it did look a little yes. cheap and stuff. And that's. Get me Susanna Beer. Yeah. Well, listen, one of the things that is worthy of note and that is a positive, regardless of how we personally feel about the movie, um, there was a good take on this in Vanity Fair um, where the writer said that Bird Box should be a story and not just because it's proven to be unexpectedly popular. It is the rarest of Hollywood specimens, a popular success directed by a woman with a diverse cast and a female lead. Being able to trust Netflix's numbers is a factor in that story. But by focusing solely on the views at the expense of everything else that makes Bird Box interesting, one may as well be wading into the narrative while wearing a blindfold and refusing to take it off. So, Again, this goes to what I was saying before, where I almost think that this movie is more interesting for how and why it became a thing Mm -hmm. than for whether or not we think it's good. Yes. I don't think it's good, but I do think that, yes, it's a popular success directed by a woman with a diverse cast and a female lead. That's cool. And I think that should lead to other opportunities to make films like this on a streamer like Netflix that perhaps we might like more. Mm -hmm. So I think the popular success of it is a good thing irregardless of whether I think the movie is any good. Right. And I do think, I saw a couple takes, like some of the takes on the internet are that the success of the movie was probably driven by uh, audiences that aren't just like white fanboy guys. Mm -hmm. So some of the stats that Nielsen has come out with, so basically like Netflix came out famously and said, this is our most streamed film ever in the first week. We had 46 million of our households viewed the film. Now, Netflix counts a view as if you've watched 70% of the film, that's a view. Okay. Some people pointed out a pretty good point, which is like, you know, if you buy a movie, movie sales are simply based on ticket sales, but that doesn't prove whether you even went to the movie Mm -hmm. or whether you left early or left a third of the way through or half of the way through. So in that way, some people say, you know, People that say movie box office is this doesn't really account for whether people stayed for the whole movie. So whatever, splitting Mm -hmm. hairs. However, then Nielsen came out and said, uh, gave us a different number. Um, They said it had racked up 26 million viewers in its uh, first week. 
Among U.S. subscribers. U.S. persons aged two plus, unduplicated reach, to give you the specific language. Now, here's what's the interesting part. More than half of the film's audience, according to Nielsen, was female Mm -hmm. by 57 to 43%. It was also relatively young with the highest concentration of viewers, 36% between the ages of 18 and 34. And almost half the audience, 46%, was either African-American or Hispanic which Nielsen added was the highest concentration it has observed across the Netflix originals it has analyzed. About 22% of the viewers were Hispanic, while 24% were African-American. So I think it's an interesting thing that we have a movie, if we believe these numbers, Mm -hmm. that is propelled by some of the audiences. We were talking yesterday in the Golden Globes recap about underserved audiences. And that's part of the story of the the film year in 2018, and I think is going to continue to be part of the story in 2019, Mm -hmm. is that these audiences are going to get more content that speaks to them, and they're going to make that content popular, and that's going to get more content that speaks Mm -hmm. to them Mm -hmm. that has a greater and greater chance of becoming popular. So that economic engine, I'm interested in. I think that's an interesting economic engine. Well, that's part of the economic engine uh, that is Netflix and why, uh, you know, this has come up a few times, uh, this strange new kind of business model that Netflix is, which is different than other content providers, which is different than other movie studios. But the fact that it is, um, it's the biggest, like, film producer. (laughs) It's pouring a lot more money into making movies than actual film studios are. That is good and bad for different ways. Alfonso Cuaron was asked about his thoughts on Netflix um, after the Golden Globes. And he was, in the article that I read about it, uncharacteristically testy uh, because he's, you know, sort of, I think, frustrated with this question, understandably so. I actually wanted to play you his answer, which I- Oh, you have it? Oh, Which I have have queued up uh, right here. Um, Yeah, I thought this was a great little moment. Um, I'm not going to play the reporter, um, I'm not going to play the reporter question, but he basically asks Alfonso, um, some people have said that the success of your film on a streamer such as Netflix is the death of independent cinema. Right. Because there, there will be no need to release films widely in theaters and people will lose that experience. Um, and Quaron had this. How many theaters do you think that a, a Mexican film in black and white, uh, in Spanish and Mixteco, that is a drama with not, without stars, how big the release you would think it would be in a conventional theatrical release? I have in a great, great bigger theatrical release than that, but way, way, way bigger, still playing. It was not a cosmetic release. To this day, the movie, it opened more than a month ago and still playing. That is rare for a foreign film. Why don't you compare? I think that is very unfair to say that because why don't you take the list of foreign films this year and compare the, the, the theatrical release of those films and for how long they've been playing? See how many are playing in 70 mil. See the territories in which this film is playing. I don't think so. I just hope the discussion between Netflix and platforms in general and theatrical should be over. I think that those guys, platforms and theatrical, should go together and just realize that whatever they are doing with discussion is hurting cinema. They both together, they can elevate cinema. And more important, they, they can create a diversity in cinema. Something that we have to be very conscious is that the theatrical experience has, has, to be, has become very gentrified to one specific kind of product. Right now, I mean, it's in question of it that you have all these filmmakers 
interesting filmmakers uh, doing films with different platforms because those platforms are not afraid of doing these films. And like Rome, I just hope that many others, they have the theatrical, theatrical release and greater theatrical de releases that I have. You know, uh, this is a foreign film in Spanish and in black and white. Some other will be some films with interesting filmmakers, with, uh, with, with stars. Hey, my God, it's, uh, next year, I think, it is that it's coming, or this year, it's coming Scorsese. You know, let's see that, that, that theatrical release, and then let's talk about it. That, I thought, was a really fascinating quote and speaks both to Roma and the success mm -hmm. that it's having, because I think he's right. It's having a longer theatrical release than it would have had, even if it was released by a traditional studio. When he says cosmetic release, what he means is putting it in theaters for a day or two in order to qualify for Oscars. We're just putting it in New York and L.A. Yeah. for two or three days, and then we're pulling it. Roma is still playing. And not only that, it's playing in 70 millimeter which is a difficult thing to project in. And you can only play, theaters have to be like retrofitted in order to have the projector. Right. When I listened to that a couple times before, I thought he kind of contradicted himself. But now I realize what he's saying. When he's saying at the end about that conversation between the streamers and the theatrical, they're hurting cinema. I thought he was saying that the, the, the conversation about one versus the other was hurting it. But I think he's saying people like the reporter who are who are making a thing of this question are hurting cinema. But it fits uh, with Bird Box. I mean, I, I don't know that this would have been made otherwise. And it is cool that you have, I mean, Sandra Bullock is 54. Mm -hmm. You believe that? 54 years old. That's not the age at which a, a woman in Hollywood tends to open a big movie. Mm -hmm. So there's cool things about it. Absolutely. But I would wish that the thing that was made had had some more stuff going. Yeah. On. Well, you know, you can't you can't you can't have, have everything. everything. Here's but a funny. No, I think like the good thing about it is that it's try, that it's taking I think a relatively large swing. That they, it is, despite the fact that it didn't look that it looked kind of cheap and crappy. Yeah. You could also tell they did put some money into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, and um, and they tried something. They, they did give. They this, tried. You know. So that is all. You, great. you would have been a great grade school teacher. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, you tried. You tried. Hey. Listen, I have a another Facebook comment that just came in while we're recording this. I, oh, I posted that we, were gonna, that we were going to be recording our bird box. And um, so Raphael posted and said, you better discuss how fresh Tom's hair remained all through the apocalypse while having a white girlfriend. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, Chris. I'm white. I didn't really understand the correlation between Tom, who's the uh, Trevante character. Right. Uh, his hair and having a white girlfriend. So I said, explain. You asked Raph, yeah. I asked Raph, I said, please explain what you said. He wrote something very funny, which I'm going to quote here right now. He said, full cast and crew, I don't believe that most white women are well-versed enough in the history of black hair and beauty <laughs> culture to be able to properly assist Tom in maintenance of what is colloquially known as the, quote, edge up, end quote, which has been a longstanding signature of black masculinity and culture and that of African-Americans in particular. Tom was also seen, quote, sporting waves, end quote, which is troubling as he is never depicted wearing the do-rag necessary to affect said hairstyle, as it would have drawn more attention to the differences in black and white hair cultures and maintenance, as well as its place in American polity. What's polity? Uh, I mean, I know, but I just want to quote it directly from the dictionary. <laughs> That's such a lie as you look it up. <laughs> A form or process of civil government or constitution, an organized society, a state as a political entity. Uh, fascinating point, Raphael. Thank you for contributing that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, no, I, I don't know say... how Tom also maintained his 
gym ready physique during the apocalypse. I mean, the the definition they do uh, have. You lose one, that within a couple of weeks. Well, look, they did have one have run no to the grocery store. They must have found a lot of protein bars and like a huge <laughs> whey protein thing. Raphael brings up a good point. The hair was far too again styled well, and taken care of. And you know, th- thank you for explicating to two white guys. Although some of the political uh, ramifications of certainly of, uh, interracial so relationships and hairstyling. Uh, one other funny thing about the cast, I don't know if you, so yeah, do you know who Machine Gun Kelly is? Well, I did see he's a rapper <laughs> as well as. You sound like everybody's grandmother. <laughs> he is a rapper. He's a rapper. I don't well, know about those tattoos. Oh, I definitely don't know about those tattoos. Um, he didn't go by his birth name. He went by Colson Baker, but you know, he's like, look, if he's t- trading off his rap cred, he might as well go by the name Machine Gun Kelly. Well, uh, in looking up a little, a little fascinating information about Machine Gun Kelly, who by the way, has been a apparently a tried and true friend to Pete Davidson. Apparently he and Machine Gun Kelly are palling around all over Hollywood and were together last night at the Golden Globes party where Pete Davidson apparently famously left the party with Kate Beckinsale. Whoa. Good for Kate, her. don't do it. I don't well, think listen, who do She's 47, he's 26. A, so what? Sometimes you want to take a walk on the wild side. So anyway, Machine Gun Kelly, this is a funny quote from his uh, IMDb page. Together with a few friends from Cleveland, MGK, that's what he's known as, Chris, mm-hmm. MGK, has an ideological movement known as EST19XX. What do you think that is, Chris? Established... 1900s. EST. Yeah, I thought that might be a- uh, 19XX. A I forgot to look it up. Do you know his, his uh, music oh, it's, oh, it stands for Everyone Stand Together, regardless of age, race, or social rank. It's a movement. Right, that's pretty awesome. Good for him. And yeah, apparently it involves having sex in a laundry room while the apocalypse is raging. Well, listen, him. he doesn't get a writing credit on this. <laughs> so you can't fault him for that. I guess not. And look, given the opportunity, I would too. I mean, the apocalypse- What happened to those people, like a, by the way? They left. Like Where did they jerks, go? They, wherever. <laughs> um, did you see- uh, because there's a lot of apocalyptic movies. In fact, I never thought I'd say this, but hi. You ready? You're ready. <laughs> you're ready for post post apocalyptic yes, movies. Yeah, I want to say like start actually. Okay, what do you do next? But did you see The Mist, the yes. the Stephen King adaptation? This is my rule of thumb with Stephen King adaptations. I wait. Okay, right. I wait this until thing. it reaches a critical mass that I can trust, and then I will dip a toe in. Why? But did I've been you? burned. I mean, this has been like. Way too many times. 15 years, and this one's great. I'm actually- Wait, you're saying it came out 15 years ago? Something like that, with Andre Brower and Thomas Jane and um, other people. It was a TV movie or it was a film? No, no, it was a relatively small major motion picture. There were a lot of things that were really good about it. It was sort of a relatively tight uh, sort of Mm -hmm. horror thing. But one of the things about it is it does, spoiler, uh, it does have somebody who leaves the Mm -hmm. group and you do find out what happened to them in a way that this, you neither find out whether they survived or didn't survive or what even the reasoning was for their leaving besides just being selfish. It was too dangly. And, and yes. one of the great things, like, cause that movie really is, is good. Even the smallest character's motivation seemed real and justified. Whereas that was just sort of whimsy, which again, who knows, maybe that's a reflection on millennial culture. Chris, do you have anything else that you'd like to say about Bird Box before we move on to entertainment headlines. Uh, I do want to at least mention, I think that part of the reason why it did become so popular was one, oh. like you said, the the fake Bird Box challenge and whether it's yes. real or fake. Well, it's fake. We know that it's fake because in Australia, 
Netflix partnered with Twitch streamers, streamers. Mm-hmm. to perform what they called the Bird Box Challenge, in which they would play some popular video games while blindfolded. Right. And I think that Netflix manufactured the concept of the Bird Box Challenge and then put out their lame corporate tweet of like, do we even, I can't believe I even have to say this, but don't hurt yourselves doing. Right. Hashtag bird box challenge, which is not really a thing. I was going to say, because I did read that same article, but it did seem like there were other people who were picking up on it, that they did have some success with that viral thing. One of whom was, though this could also have been a partnership with Netflix, Jake Paul was actually going out into the middle of the street blindfolded. And uh, oh, please tell me he got hit by a car. No, he did not. Oh, well, you know, the art- a lot of articles are saying like, this really is stupid, not just you throwing your own life away, but the difficulty it's potentially posing for the driver who sure. may well hit you. So I did want to mention that. Anything else? Gritty also did a, uh, a combination bird box challenge. Oh, well, look, Chris, now you're giving publicity, you're, you're, you're the willing tool of Netflix. Well, because what I think is interesting about this movie is that it did become a phenomenon based purely on that. Netflix exists, and as Alfonso Cuaron said, there's some good things, and it is trying to create a business model. I agree, model but there's nothing good this about fake social media controversies or memes. It is if what it is. Real, I mean, it's a, if the fact real, that it had some success is interesting that it did create, we're talking about this no, no, movie no, you're, wait, because you're taking of this at face value that the Bird Box Challenge is a real thing. I'm I'm saying, no, it's a manufactured sure. part of the marketing strategy. Netflix said, let's yes. create something called the Bird Box Challenge. Yeah. That's and, and, and the more you talk about it, the more you're a willing tool of their marketing campaign. We, we watched it. We were a willing tool of it. Oh, I'm going to be a willing tool to watch it, but I'm not going to be a willing tool to perpetrate their fraud upon the American public. I guess what I'm public. saying is that it isn't a fraud about the, about the American public and that you can't separate the two from each other. It goes by a different type of marketing campaign than would Sony or any other, you know, sort of a major motion picture. The fact that it's had some success, yes, I agree that the movie could have been a lot better, but like a lot of things, this is creating this new, I guess, type of marketing campaign, I do think is interesting, the way that it interplays with uh, with popular culture. Full Cast and Crew is brought to you by Behemoth from Monkey Brain Comics. Behemoth is the dirty dozen meets the fly with little Spider-Man thrown in. Kids are turning into monsters and the government steps in to keep things quiet. Some are never heard from again, but others are forced on suicide missions on behalf of a world that hates them as part of Project Behemoth. Find it on monkeybraincomics.com or Comixology today. Okay, now it's time for Entertainment Headlines, which I think Matt cut us together a snappy little theme song. Headlines. That was brilliant. Um, Well, Matt, we're going to kick off with something that we're going to need your help on, um, which is the Chrissy Metz, Alison Brie feud day two revelations, which now... We are in a, what was that thing where you heard them say one thing or another on that internet video? Remember that? It was like, are they saying lemon or whatever? Oh, well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What um, were those two things? Shoot. It's, it was the... Uh, Laurel or Yanny. Yeah, it's, so now, day two, so just to recap, day one, uh, on a live hot mic red carpet moment, People Magazine tweeted out a video that allegedly showed or at least heard Chrissy Metz referring to Alison Brie as a bitch. And that was a story that was raging on Twitter. And then she came out and said, oh, that's ridiculous. I hope she knows my heart. I, I'm friends with her. I just saw her. I would never say something like that. Now the story day two, and this is where we're going to want Matt's help. The story day two is that the, uh, the person with her on the red carpet with Chrissy Metz now says, she didn't say she's a bitch. She's such a bitch. She said, she's such a babe. 
So I want to play it for you now, and I want you and the listeners yep. to tell me what you hear. Do you know a girl named Allison Bree? Do I? Well, I hear she's at the other end of the carpet. Oh. It's supposed to be Allison Bree. I'm like, do I? She's such a babe. Okay. She's such a babe. That was it again. Listen. She's such a babe. She's such a babe. I yeah, hear. Absolutely. I hear. I, I hear. She's such a babe. Do you uh, hear anything different? No. No. I. She's such a babe. I don't hear anything that even sounds remotely like uh, the other B word. Yeah. However, yesterday when the story was, Chrissy Metz is caught in a hot mic saying, "Allison Brie, she's such a bitch," and I listened to it. I heard she's such a bitch. Really? Now that the suggestion was made to me today that that's not what she was saying, I hear it as she's such a babe. Hey, this is Matt, the engineer. So the Laurel Yanni example is a little different than this because there was some manipulation, probably accidentally, from software that created frequencies that an American English speaking person wouldn't naturally produce together. So what this resulted in is some people hearing Laurel and some hearing Yanni. You can look up some interesting research from one of my Cinema Audio Society colleagues, Jay Rose, at his site, jayrose.com backslash tutorials. Check it out. Anyway, for this, the bitch babe discussion here, if our brain is influenced to hear something in a certain way, it often will, uh, based on psychoacoustics. If you listen to this and you're preempted with somebody saying, she's saying bitch, then you're going to hear bitch. If you're told that she said babe, you're going to probably hear babe. And while we're here, your eyes also influence what you hear as well. The next time you watch a fight scene where somebody breaks a bone, know that the sound isn't that of an unsuspecting intern's arm being broken, but probably a stalk of celery being snapped. Anyway. Now, it's far more likely, I think, that Chrissy Metz said she's such a babe than mm -hmm. She's such a bitch. I don't, I don't, I think she's savvy enough. Now, uh, however, you know, she is on This Is Us, so anything's possible. People, people say crazy things sometimes. I've never seen it. You gotta vent when you gotta vent. Sometimes you gotta. And if, if it happens to be a stranger on the red carpet, so be it. So be it. Um, okay, Chris, uh, entertainment headlines, are you ready? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some rapid fire entertainment headlines for you to react to. Again, for those of you who are not familiar with this segment, this is where I plumb the depths of Chris's entertainment news knowledge by throwing him some headlines and seeing what he thinks they may come be about. Come on, comic books. Come on, comic books. Okay. Uh, Lindsay Lohan's beach club isn't worth visiting, says CNN today. <laughs> All right. Well, I trust their entertainment because uh, I did know that uh, I saw the poster for her reality show. Yes. And I think we talked about, what was the show where... Uh, Parent Trap. Parent Trap. How she's yes. now living her best life in Ibiza. Yes. Okay. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. This is in the theater world, Chris. Mm -hmm. Lin-Manuel Lin Miranda buys much-loved New York bookshop. He purchased the drama bookshop. I'm sure you've spent many hours there. Absol yes. Yes. As Lin said, he himself spent many hours there, I guess, reading plays. Yeah. You can go and they let you read. You sit there. Sometimes you buy them which might have been why it had the business uh, trouble that it did. But yeah, and they also had like our re rehearsal and performance space. Uh, but yeah. Okay, good for him. He still should not have been nominated as best actor. <laughs> He's and trying. He's doing he should it. Not this have is been his charm offensive. He's trying to appeal to you. I got into a little Twitter spat with another one of our longtime fans, uh, uh, Stacy, on Twitter, who seems to have taken some sort of set against Mary Poppins Returns because oh, yeah? <laughs> it's not as good for her as the original Mary Poppins. And again, I haven't seen the original Mary Poppins. Right. It wasn't part of my life. So I don't have those preconceived notions. And she went so far to respond to my tweet during the Golden Globes telecast saying, 
why why isn't Ben Wishaw nominated for best lead actor since he's the lead actor in the movie and Lynn Manuel Miranda is the definition of a supporting actor in right. the movie? And she said, "Oh, he's the one thing I liked least about it, don't you know?" Ba 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 ba. She got all up 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 in my face about it. Oh, she liked Ben Wishaw the least about it. Yeah, she liked Ben Wishaw the least <sighs> about the movie. Well, I have had a lot read to a lot say of her comments. It. I can't uh, I can't get a beat on her. Can't figure no. out. I I would tend to usually to agree with her, but um. Here's another one for you, Chris. Chicago rapper Cupcake hospitalized after tweeting about suicide. Oh. Sad. Sorry. That is sad, yeah. yeah. Do you know, were you ever a Howard Stern listener sure. or fan? Uh, Artie Lang. Oh. Uh, That's a depressing photo. To, it is, it's a depressing photo. Well, it's a depressing friggin' life. You well, know. listen, the drugs don't work, Artie. I mean, what is he fucking waiting for? Well, there I are mean, such unfortunates. But there was on Twitter yesterday, I saw a similar thing where um, a lot of comedians were like tweeting at him. I don't know if he had threatened suicide, but the implication was everybody's like, please don't, please try to pull it back together. And it is really, yeah, it's terrible. Sad. Okay. Here's one for you, Chris. Captain Marvel, new special look trailer released as tickets go on sale. Yes. I think it's, we're two months, I think it's in March, uh, that the film comes out. Yeah. I mean, what is that? I don't even know what Captain, Captain Marvel, Marvel is. Captain Marvel, that's the next uh, Marvel movie that is- uh, Who's Captain Brie, Marvel? I think it's Brie Larson. And Captain Marvel is uh, used to be Ms. Marvel. Brie Larson means- or Alison Brie? Oh, shoot. Come on, Mr. Marvel. Double, double check. I love how you guys go crazy over these trailers. The trailer shows us two things we didn't see before. Uh, inclu- it's Brie Larson. Okay. So She's Alison. the one that was locked in the house with yes, the kid? Yes, she was in room. Uh, anyway, so th- this is a character that, uh, next headline fans are, I did that for you, Daryl, uh, fans are digging John Travolta's new bald look. Hair is so overrated, says one. Wow. John Travolta has a bald head that have you seen it? Finally. I mean, I've seen it with wigs on it for the past 20 years, but, uh, although apparently, um, my computer's listening to us cause it's just showing me coffee. <laughs> based on Chris's coffee injury. Let me see if I can get back to this photo. Oh, here we are. Uh, here's John Travolta. Hey, it looks good. I think he actually looks great. I think, yeah. It's much better than going with the fake hair. Yeah. Um, he looks badass, actually. Yeah. But didn't he, um, did you ever see, uh, well, I guess he's done a few movies where he's tried to be a badass sort of in, in, you in mean his like, later um, years. Wasn't going to have taken a Pelham one, two, three. Sure. And, uh, oh, he's a great bad guy. Gotti, though in Gotti. <laughs> um, how about this? He looks really good. These tidying up with Marie Kondo memes are guaranteed to spark joy. Are you on the bo- are you on board with sorry. the Marie Kondo Netflix uh, train? No, sorry. My Who's- entire home that I live in with my wife and daughter. My wife watched all of the episodes, and there are vast and significant changes going on in the home. I don't uh, know what I'm going to come home to tonight. I Although have- I have to say, of the changes I've noticed, I really like them. Like, for example, in our kitchen, we have a very small kitchen. We live in New York City. We have a very small apartment. So the kitchen is, um, I don't know what they call it. It looks like kind of like a diner kitchen where you're just like, it's like 10, not even 10 feet. It's probably eight feet. And you could touch the walls on either side. So the space is very limited. For example, we had a stack of plates where we might have had 12 square dinner plates. Yeah. Now we have four or three because there's three of us Mm -hmm. where we had like, nine coffee mugs. We have three coffee mugs. Mm-hmm. Things like this that make sense to me, Chris. Sure. So I'm just saying. So you're not going to be inviting over any guests? No one's invited <laughs> over. <laughs> Certainly not for coffee. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask because I'd forgotten who she was, but she's the decluttering. 
Yes, she's uh, a decluttering genius. one. Apparently, it's a huge, it's a big thing. I didn't know who she was at all. I had oh, remembered geez, that she had you a live book. in the world, Chris. Well, I'm busy. Hail Christian, Church of Satan revels in Bale's <laughs> Golden Globes shout out. Oh, that made me so happy. What was great about this was Christian Bale himself pointed out in his Golden Globe speech that his wife had given him some very pointed advice, which was don't talk very much. And you could tell when they kept cutting back to her, she was kind of sitting in her chair. Now, every person who has a significant other knows the look that his wife was giving him. Uh huh. It is the look that says, stop talking now. You've said enough. <laughs> like, don't make it any worse, right? And she was kind of just waiting for him, hopefully not to dig any further. So anyway, Christian Bale thanked Satan in <laughs> for the... For, I guess, the inspiration or, or the education in terms of how to play Dick Cheney in Vice. Uh, and it's, Fox and Friends have called him out for comparing Dick Cheney to Satan. Cheney's daughter has slammed Bale. But Bale finds himself embraced by the Church of the Satan. The Church of Satan, exactly. Yes. And, you know, I would certainly um, align myself with them over Fox News any day. But the Church of Satan did, uh, on January 6th, I guess that is the night of the Golden Globes themselves, tweeted, To us, Satan is a symbol of pride, liberty, and individualism, and it serves as an external metaphorical projection of our highest personal potential. Wow. As Mr. Bale's own talent and skill won him the award, this is fitting. Hail Christian, <laughs> hail Satan. You know what? I, as far as I'm not really into organized religion, but I, that's a pretty good statement from a religion. Oh, absolutely. I will say, I'm not sure how, um, how non-tongue in cheek the Church of Satan is in general. Really? Yeah. Like, I don't think oh. it's, it takes itself quite as seriously as say the Catholic church or mm -hmm. something like that. But, uh. Have you ever known any Satanists? Uh, no. We had one in New Haven when I was growing up and, um. One of the downtown characters and figures was this guy, uh, Paul or Tall Paul or something. Mm -hmm. He was an avowed Satanist, and he was always getting <laughs> into trouble and scrapes. I, mean, I knew a bunch of people, you know, in a, you know what I didn't realize until listening to an uh, Alice Cooper interview? Yeah. Uh, you know, when growing up, heavy metal types uh, seemed kind of scary, like kids a few years older and stuff like that. And I you mean like they might spill some French press coffee on you oh, without knowing? I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't realize how dastardly they could get. But uh, then listening to, now he's, you know, a he's elder sober. statesman. Uh, but he was talking about, he's like, yeah, this is all just like, we were just playing dress up. Oh, yeah. Well, fun. Yeah. I didn't realize the character. sense of humor that it always had Alice had Cooper is also a scratch golfer. That will make yes. you a lot less afraid of him. That I knew. Lorena Bobbitt is ready to talk in the first trailer for Lorena. Nope. Jordan Peele's documentary about Lorena Bobbitt for Amazon. Are you excited about that? Uh, I am. It's just a surprising project. I had no idea that it was happening. Yeah. He's got a few now. interesting ones coming up. Um, let's see. <laughs> I just <laughs> pulled up, uh, hang on to your dicks. The trailer for the Lorena <laughs> Bobbitt series is here. Oh, here's one I'm excited about. So Daryl, pay attention. Dave Bautista joins Dune after Guardians of the Galaxy 3 delays. Yes. So as you know, I'm a huge, huge, huge Blade Runner 2049 fan. Denis Villeneuve directing Dune, which is reported to be two movies, although I think we're definitely going to see the first movie, which Frank Herbert's son has said encompasses about half of the novel. And I, th I think with the presumed success of that, we would then get the second movie. Yeah. I actually have a hot take. My hot take is that Dave Bautista, who we just mentioned before, Dave Bautista is the greatest actor 
of the muscle-bound actor variety that we've ever had in Hollywood. So better than Arnold, mm-hmm. better than Stallone, mm-hmm. better than The Rock. I'm talking about as an actor. Mm-hmm. He's got mm-hmm. real range and depth and emotion and humor. I'm really impressed by him. He's so different in Blade Runner 2049 than in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any others? I think the only one that I was going to suggest that I haven't seen too much of his oeuvre is uh, John Cena. I know people oh, are very way better, way better than John Cena. Well, John Cena is a good comic actor. I was going to say they've been focusing presence. on the uh, the comic. His but, comic but Dave Bautista can do emotional depth, which right. he did in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, right? Which and, I saw five times and punching, and punching. Uh, very very good punching. Very good punching. Lou Ferrigno, no, yeah. <laughs> and I'm still efforting, Chris. As you know, we have a contact in the production. Did I tell you this? No. We have a contact in the production of Dune. A high-level contact that I plan to. This is a pipe dream. This is probably oh. not going to happen. <laughs> no, no. But I'm going to try. I'm going to ask. I'm going to make the request. They get me up in the morning. These pipe. I'm dreams. going to make the request. We'll, we'll probably be told no. But I'm going to contact this person who is very high up in the production of the film Dune, and I'm going to say to him, "Would it be okay if my podcasting partner and I visited the set and recorded a podcast, which we would agree to?" embargo or not as needed sure. in correlation with the marketing plan for the film. And he'll probably say, there's too much secrecy. We can't allow outsiders like, no, but I'm still going to ask. Absolutely. I'm sure this is exactly the kind of marketing thing that they would want. You Have know? you ever been to Tunisia, Chris? Are you cleared for entry into Tunisia? I believe they're filming in Tunisia. No, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's Maybe fine. Some I've other- got a few passports. I'm sure one of them okay. doesn't have any problems with it. Okay. Um, tag, you're it. Here's a full transcript of Jeff Bridges' wacky Golden Globe <laughs> speech. Probably want to read that again. That was 600 pages. Yeah. Um, that's entertainment headlines. Headlines. All right. Well, very entertaining week. Uh, the beginning of a, hopefully an entertaining year. Do you have any rants and raves? Not really. Not really. The one uh, rave, I'll, but I'll make it quick. Uh, was this going to be, I did come across an interview with the the Fiji water girl, and oh. I was impressed with how- Tell us uh, about her. Just that she stayed very on brand. She is uh, a model, mm-hmm. uh, but she was, every time this, you know, it was on Slate, and the interviewer kept sort of asking about, like, her and, like, uh, what it's like to be, she's, but she stayed very on message. Mm-hmm. I think she hopes to work for Fiji again, probably. I think in the well, end, she I'm says, pretty sure her, I'll be at the Oscars. I'm pretty sure her ambitions now can expand beyond being the Fiji water sure, girl, no? But uh, she certainly doesn't want to alienate Fiji by uh, by not staying on the party line. Uh, but it was... Fiji, <laughs> you'll always have us. This is the sound of me drinking my refreshingly still cool 1.5 liter Bottle of Fiji natural artesian water. Full cast and crew, not really brought to you by Fiji. Yet. Okay, uh, okay so that's it for this week. And, uh, you know, uh, until next. <laughs> I love how you are incapable. <laughs> for a trained actor, it's amazing how incapable you are every single time of launching into a, prepa- a prepared bit. This time uh, I was looking for what was my take. Like, I remember what the quote <laughs> is, but what was the lead in? But Leiden was just going to say that, you know, this week's uh, film Bird Box was brought to us by Netflix, which for better or for worse is changing not only how we consume filmed art and entertainment, but also what we see. And so... The unknown future rolls toward us. I face it for the first time with a sense of hope. Because of a machine, 
a Terminator can learn the value of human life, maybe we can too. Thanks for listening to Full Cast and Crew. I uh, just wanted to remind everyone to subscribe if you haven't already, so you'll get a new episode every Thursday. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at fullcastandcrew, or find us on Facebook.